and if halfway through the talk, the cough keep sweet comes shooting out of the mouth, uh, just keep your head down, all right? Push it over on the front. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank and praise you for your goodness. Thank and praise you for your love and your kindness. Through your word, that we might know this Jesus. We ask Father by your Spirit to imprint him on our hearts and listen to what he says. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear respected brother, um, I was once invited in the UK to one of the great, I can't remember whether it was Oxford up there or Cambridge, I can't remember. It was one of those top-end universities, and he was invited to come in front of all these intellectual big wigs, all these intellectual minds, of the, the greatest minds in, in the country, and give a talk on God. Maybe cynical, unbelieving students about God, you know, people like Richard Dawkins. And all. It was an exciting opportunity but uh, when you come into a hall like that, you know, your knees start knocking. Looks like a great hall, doesn't it, from Harry Potter or something like that. His knees started knocking. How could he, against the intellectual elite of the country and the eloquence of the top minds, come armed simply with a Bible? Well, it looks pretty pathetic, doesn't it? Pretty weak and unimpressive. And actually, even though you lot are not Oxford students, uh, sometimes I feel as though uh, coming here, even though we're not in the great hall, but coming into the lecture here before you sometimes, I feel the same. Surely I have something to say which is a bit more impressive, uh, a bit more sophisticated, maybe. Uh, perhaps I should make my illustrations better. Maybe I should try and be a bit more funny, more entertaining, and maybe more people might come in there. Maybe just don't. Just get someone else in. It's much better. And perhaps you, when you talk to your friends who don't know Jesus or don't believe in him, you're tempted to think, what the words coming out of the mouth? It's just so bizarre. There's no way they were ever going to believe them. They're not interested, surely. We heard last week, Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is near. That is God's promised universal reign. Eternal reign has come through the King Jesus. He's come to judge and to save, to bring God's kingdom in. And if you think about it, that's an incredible way to open your ministry, isn't it? Saying something like that. Whoa, bit of a big, huge statement. Uh, if you ever wanted a hook for a sermon, that was it. The kingdom of God is near. There's huge expectations now hanging over the story that Mark is writing. Who is this guy? What is this kingdom like? Who will be part of it? You see, with an opening gambit like that, you better not let anyone down, because that's a big deal. Now, if you had started the story about Jesus in 1.14-15, as Mark has, how would you continue the story? Just have a chat, just one minute talk. How would you continue the story? You said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That's a big statements about God's kingdom. How would you continue the story? Just two, 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 one minute or so? Go ahead on your tables. Yeah. <laughs> 
kingdom of God is at hand. Now for most part, the passage sounds as though uh, it's quite exciting, doesn't it? There's quite a lot going on. But in verse 16 to 20, we see something very odd. We see fishermen and fishers of men. Take a look at verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, when you think about it, that's actually pretty ridiculous. Here's the kingdom of God, and Jesus is coming to these fishermen. Surely, something's wrong. As I said last week, sometimes familiarity, we know these stories quite well, don't we? If you've been brought up Christians, or you've been read Mark before, and you're quite familiar with them. But just think about it. Here's the kingdom and Jesus comes to a bunch of permission fishermen. It's like the president of, I don't know what country, going down to the slums to handpick his cabinet. Doesn't make any sense. It's almost laughable that fishermen of all people will be instrumental in this new kingdom. And they have a new role. They're called to be fishers of men. What does that mean? Well, we'll come back to it at the end. Fishermen in God's kingdom. Oh, I like the bit of that. I like the sound of that. And so what do they do without delay? You see them get up, follow, leave everything behind, and follow Jesus. Now, as we go through the passage, as you've read just now, you might have noticed the amount of times the word immediately comes up. Immediately this, immediately that. There's an immediate response to Jesus. And you see that in verse 21 to 28, as there is authority and astonishment. Did you notice it as it was read? He goes into the synagogue... And uh, he starts teaching, and verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. See, one word to describe what he's doing is authority. Authority, authority. So much so that the man with an evil spirit knows who he is. Look at verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demons, they know what is going on. They've heard the news. They know the end has come. And you know what Jesus does? He deals with them immediately with a word. He rebuked them and said, come out of him. And he comes out of him. And the response, verse 27, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. See, you have here in this little bit authority and astonishment. Now, uh, I'll pause for a while. Imagine uh, if you heard about someone with that sort of authority today. What would you do? If you saw someone do that in front of you, what would you do? What would we do? <laughs> That's right. We would uh, we'd pull the phones out and it would be going viral within seconds. I heard about the Manchester bombing the other night. And that went viral within seconds, didn't it? It's amazing how fast the new tra news travels today. It would be uh, shared and liked beyond all counts. Um, we sort of know that it happens almost immediately, this sort of news. And of sorts, his, that's what's happened. They heard hear about Jesus, verse 28. At once, his fame spread everywhere. Immediately, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
What would you be doing? What would you be doing if you heard that news? Would you just uh, let it pass over you? Well, people would be going out to see this Jesus for real. The Jesus Roadshow is up and running, and it's getting warmed up. Now, Peter and his disciples, they've seen what's gone on, you see. And this Jesus is someone special. They know that. And look at verse 30. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about it. So they, they want him to go and do something. They know he's powerful beyond imagination. If you had a fever in those days, and if you had a fever in bed, well, the scholars tell me that uh, you weren't too far from death. I mean, today we just pop a few pills, don't we? Uh, we jump out of bed, or maybe we don't. Uh, but to be ill with a fever in bed was quite a serious sickness, perhaps even close to death, as I say. But what does Jesus do? Verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. There's this immediately thing going on. Look at the response. Look at the authority. Look at the power. You have, in verse 29 to 34, pleas and popularity. See, as Jesus does more and more stuff, as he does more and more acts of power, his popularity grows and people come seeking him. Look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at that door. That was a guy on TV who's always doing the adverts now. Uh, what's his name? I had to ask... Uh, my kids that this morning. Is that King? Was it Zach King? Is that right? Oh, it does a tic-tac advert now. Oh, yes, I'm getting nods. Good, good. He started off as a YouTube guy. He has camera trickery, and he looks amazing and everything, and he became, he's become really popular, and so people were asking him to do more and more adverts now. Have you noticed that? His own popularity is great. He's a man in demand. Jesus is being asked when he has done what he's done to do everything. And the picture is almost riotous. The whole town are at his door. Help! I need your help, Jesus. And what does he do? Well, he heals them all. He helps them. He, he does. I think, wow, we come to the end of the passage. Yes, we can go. No, we can't. Because the picture that has come through is literally breathtaking. The introduction of Jesus the King is breathtaking, literally. Mark is writing in a way that you don't have time to draw breath. You notice that? Uh, this happened, then immediately that happened, and then immediately that happened, and immediately that happened. And it's kind of building up a, a big montage of power, if you like, a montage of authority. Uh, and you've been carried along in the story as you read of this, of this Jesus. But then all of a sudden, the wind is totally taken out of the sails. I saw, I saw this picture on, uh, on YouTube about someone uh, riding in one of these bike races and uh, there was a few circuits of the town they had to do and he came through the uh, and he came through the finish line in first position and he's going yes and he's got his head like, like that and the crowds are going no no and he's going yeah yeah and then all the motorcycles go past him and he goes oh because he's totally missed the point he's got another circuit uh, <laughs> uh, so it's like the wind taken out of his sails and all of a sudden I don't think much look at verse 35 rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed and Simon and those who were with him searched for him 
And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Imagine the hustle and bustle of the night before, the excitement and the uh, wow factor. Imagine the popularity they were all enjoying. But Jesus is saying, that's not it. That's not why I've come. Here we have Jesus' prayer and priorities. Can you imagine being a disciple at that moment, like that disciples? You can imagine the bubble bursting, can't you? Uh, Hello, am I missing something, Jesus? Look at the crowds, they love you. They want more. And I'm actually quite loving it as well, because I'm part of it. But they were missing something. And for many years, as I read this passage, as I read this part of Mark's Gospel, I think I was missing something too. For years, I read this passage and said, this kingdom is about his authority. It's about his authority over men, look at how they obey. Authority over demons, look at how they fear him. And authority over sickness, look at the speed of the response. And that's not wrong, is it? But actually, I think I've missed the point of the passage. The passage is about the authority of the kingdom of God coming near, but it's not quite in the way you were thinking. At first glance, it looks like Jesus is taking the whole country by storm. His popularity is phenomenal, and it's clear his authority on power is on you. It's causing a stir, and it's no wonder that people are wowed by it. It's visible, it's tangible. You can see God's power at work. It's the same today, isn't it? And some of the biggest churches in the world are those that play miracles or some acts of power, aren't they? It's always going to be a draw card for people. Many want to be wowed by experience. I understand that. I'm a kind of experience-based person. I get that. Uh, what you feel or what, you, uh, what you're wowed by, it's very human, isn't it? But what Jesus says right at the end of the story turns the whole thing on its head. That is, how God's kingdom comes near is not in the miracles that are so popular. It's in him, in Jesus, but it's not about the healings that everyone comes to Jesus for. It's actually about the proclamation of the gospel. You notice that's the first thing he did when he came into the Capernaum. Take a look at verse 21. What's the first thing that he did when he came into Capernaum? He taught in the synagogue. Teaching is not one thing amongst many things he does here. It's the first thing he does here. And did you notice when the demons recognises his power to destroy? When do the demons recognise his power? Is it when he's doing the miracles? No, it's when he's teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. See, the train goes off the track when the disciples ask him to come to the Peter in Peter's in-laws' place. The train is veering out of control when the crowds are at the door. All of it is taking him away from what he has come to do. And that's confirmed in verse 35 as Jesus goes to pray. Now, and take it from me here, but you can go and check it out in uh, Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 14. There's only a few times in the gospel where Jesus goes to pray. And it's a time of temptation. It's a time when he's under pressure from the crowds. 
He knows what the crowd wants. What do they want? Well, the miracles, the healings. And his disciples are as keen as anybody to get the Jesus show back on the road. But he's come to proclaim the news of the kingdom. And when he prays, his priorities are refreshed. And that's what it means, I think, to be fishers of men. Do you remember what we asked that question at the beginning? What does it mean for these fishermen to be fishers of men? You see, as Jesus spells out his priorities, he's actually determining theirs. They think being fishers of men for the kingdom is about the miracles, the popularity, people are following. It looks like they've caught the masses already, doesn't it? But they haven't. How will they really catch people for this kingdom? Through the word of the gospel. Not through their social status, the fishermen were not very socially status high, not well regarded, not through their skills. Their priority will be the same as the kings. And that's what it will mean to become kingdom fishers of men. I think all of that will lead us to three outcomes about what this passage has to say for us. The third point today is to be caught up in God's kingdom. That's our final point. Because in the story, it looks like there are many caught up in the moment, in the crowd. Uh, the buzz feed is phenomenal. It looks like they are caught up in a massive way. It looks like the kingdom have come, has come, doesn't it? But are they really caught up in the kingdom? Who really is caught up in the kingdom? <coughs> now, they were probably there for all sorts of reasons. Curiosity, uh, the healings, as I said, spectacular, the wow factor. Maybe they were there simply because everyone else was there and they were just following the crowd. They were just out with the show. But it seems as though their reasons, at the end, didn't really align with Jesus's. And when we scratch a little deeper, I think, we find perhaps that we're not much different to the crowd. All the disciples. What are you following Jesus for? The warm, accepting environment? The comfort of belonging? A caring community, perhaps? Potential spouse? Don't mind. <laughs> a blessed lifestyle? A good career? And the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? There's plenty of reasons why we might come to God and follow Jesus. Perhaps you're following for all the wrong reasons. But what is the priority of the king for you? Well, it's to hear the word. To hear the gospel. Not by the spectacular, not by shows of power or experiences of power. We're an entertainment generation, aren't we? We love the social media, so integral to who we are. Same, I've seeped into my life too. Um, so easy to find entertainment wherever and whenever. And of course, the danger is we start to be entertained or look for entertainment or experience in the Christian life. But what did Jesus say? Repent and believe the gospel. That's what the kingdom is all about. It's, it requires believing what God says about the Son in the Gospel. It requires the painful process of being judged by His Word. That's repentance. It tells you where you're going wrong. 
and so repent to trust Jesus. Putting your own side a life aside. That's how we're really caught up in the kingdom. That's why Jesus wants to preach the word. And that's why Jesus' priority, like his fishers, are to preach. That's where the authority really lies in the word. NYC coming up. It's not just because I'm kind of organising NYC. <laughs> and if you haven't signed up, the green forms are right there. But for <laughs> five days, we get away and we study the Bible. And you think that's so intense. And sometimes explaining this to international students who don't have that background, it's quite, you know, it's quite, quite a big sell, right? But actually, at the heart of us is God's word, and it's a wonderful time. And you come away completely exhausted, right? But really, really happy. Because that's where the location of God's kingdom is, right in his word, in that gospel. And that's what you'll hear for five days. But secondly, catching people for the kingdom in Jesus' which is another thing I want to say. And that's really important for us to grasp this whole priority of the word for Jesus' witness. Some Christian organisations, some Christian missionary organisations, have in the past gone off the rails because uh, they make the goal of Christian mission um, to make people's lives better so that they have a more comfortable life. Now, social action, um, which uh, there's this problem in social action and uh, gospel preaching, yet one, one becomes the priority. Um, social action is a wonderful thing. And if you haven't spoken to Joe Radcliffe about this, go and speak to him. He was a missionary in Kenya for 11 years or so. And he ran a clinic in the slums in, in uh, Nairobi. But you go and ask Joe about that clinic, which made the quality of people's lives better, but you'll go and ask him what the goal of that clinic was. And can you guess? And that's what we'll do during Jesus' week. You see, normally there's a stall or a uh, some sort of uh, central point where we can have things like sausages or uh, chai or so, something free like that. But again, the, the goal really is to speak the gospel, isn't it? And uh, people get very nervous about that. They get very nervous about going out to invite people to the talks or to chat. And that may be new. I understand that. I'm the same. Uh, talking to new people can often terrify me. And I think, oh, they won't be interested in what I have to say. But what Jesus is saying <coughs> is that the power to catch people into his kingdom is not your brilliance or your eloquence or your confidence. It's not about how good-looking you are or not. It's in the gospel. Have confidence in the gospel about Jesus, because that's where the power lies. This is the saviour, this is the king, and when you declare the gospel, some will be called. But as we do that, and this is where the passage ends, I think, for us, is that there's going to be resistance to this kingdom. Do you see how the passage ends in verse 39? Take a look. He went around teaching, this is after he'd said his priorities, and driving out Demons. And it's Mark's little way of saying, when Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God, resistance arises, just like it did earlier in verse 23. Uh, we, we said last week, the devil does not like the idea that his end is in sight one little bit. 
And the gospel announces his end, his judgment. It announces there's a new kid in town. One who is taking the reins of power. The one who will be put to death on a cross to pay for death so we don't have to. And raised to life to offer us the hope even in death. See, the gospel announces that his power is broken. Jesus is the king. And the devil will do all he can to resist that, you see. Resist the proclamation of the gospel. Our battle, says Paul in Ephesians 6, is not with flesh and blood. We think everyone else, it's, it's everyone else's problem. But actually the battle is not with flesh and blood. It's with the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. It's a spiritual battle. It's a supernatural battle. And we can't be surprised in the different ways he'll try and do that. But stand firm in the gospel. Trust in the king. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom has power. And the king has power to reign forever. This news is the power of God to catch people for his kingdom. Stand firm in this gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the power that is in it. Thank you for the power that is in the gospel of Jesus the King. We pray, Father, that you might uh, help us to gain that confidence, to always set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, not fearing what is around us, but being confident in the truth of the gospel. Help us to speak, help us to act in ways which bring glory to you through him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue now in the time of prayer. Uh, prayer is simply when we talk to God, uh, to give that He gives us uh, so freely and so openly. Uh, and so if you have to draw with me now, I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, uh, we ask uh, that as we get busy with assignments and exams in this end of semester period, uh, that we will, we will remember to focus on you uh, in all things. That we will remember to continue to meet together throughout the week in all the opportunities that ECU provides us. I pray, Lord, for all the students who are stressed about upcoming assessments. We pray, Lord, that they will remember you, they'll remember that you care for them, and they'll re rely on you for comfort. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have at university uh, to so freely study the Bible, to so freely discuss the Bible together, and to grow in our faith Thank you for faculty groups, uh, Lord, particularly. And thank you for the uh, campus Bible studies that are going on at all the colleges that we are connected with. And we pray uh, that as we come to the end of semester, uh, that all those faculty groups and Bible studies will be able to reflect uh, on what they've learnt together. And they've learned about Jesus through uh, one Peter and two ways to live. And they can be encouraged uh, to continue to live with you. Uh, to continue to preach your word faithfully and confidently uh, through the power and strength that you give us. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters at Griffith University on the Gold Coast. We pray for the Griffith Christian students there as they're organising their mid-year conference, as many universities around Australia are. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, that NYC is 
We pray for student leaders and involved in running it and pray that many students would go along to hear your word proclaimed and be challenged to live it out. Thank you so much, Lord, for what we've heard in the talk today from James. We pray, Father, that you would give us hearts uh, to know the gospel, uh, to understand what is truly at its heart, uh, and to respond to it uh, in a way that we are prepared for the resistances to come, but we are uh, focused on preaching and speaking the gospel in whatever way we can so that more people uh, can hear about your great plan of salvation through Jesus. Thank you so much for all this, Lord. Uh, we raise up all our prayers and request to you, knowing that you hear us and knowing that you answer prayers in your own way. Amen. Amen. Amen.